0: I could
1: have been a contender. I could have been somebody. So he's almost like having a second captain in the team. <laughs> second captain, first captain, whatever. I never go on those boys. <laughs>
2: Good morning, and thanks for joining us on Second Captain Sunday. Old Mac Devitt here with Murph and Ken. Hi guys. Hey there, all. Hi, Owen.
3: Hey Owen, are you? If
2: you missed the debut of the show last weekend, or if you only had it on as background noise while you pottered around the house, don't worry, all is forgiven. You're very welcome to the program. Obviously not quite as welcome as the people who gave it their full undivided attention last Sunday, but welcome nonetheless. <laughs> Ken, you've had a week of, I suppose you might call it coming down from Euro 2016. How have you filled the void? Um,
1: I tried to get involved in the culture wars. Oh yeah! I took up arms in the culture wars and went to see Ghostbusters, uh, a movie which is has proven a lot more controversial than it perhaps should be. <laughs> um, this was the most hated trailer ever posted to YouTube.
2: Yeah, more than nine hundred thousand dislikes. Yeah, just of the trailer.
4: Users of the dislike button on YouTube. I mean, I would take I don't think they say with a severe pinch of salt. But anyway, on we go. It's it's. Uh, It's 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 an all-female cast uh, has gotten a lot of hate out there, Kenneth.
1: Of course, the people who say they hate it say it's nothing to do with the fact that it's just an all-female cast. It's just because Ghostbusters was such a classic movie that to see it uh, remade in such a manner and debased in such a manner, they're actually defending the cultural tradition that gave us Ghostbusters. But, I mean, that's just so ridiculous. (laughs) Like, Ghostbusters is is a decent comedy.
4: Okay, sorry. Sorry to interject here. I'll stop you right there. Uh, Ghostbusters was one of the first two videos ever bought in the Murphy household. The other one, of course, was Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. And uh, if you've got anything to say about either of those two movies, Ken, you're going to have to come through me first.
1: It was decent. People have been reacting to this as though this remake is like the the equivalent of, you know, when the Taliban blew up the Buddha statues, you know, cultural (laughs) vandalism on this sort of scale. I mean, and and I don't really, it seems so excessive. This is not a good movie. But when I look at it on INDB, the movie database, the average rating for it is 3.7. The remake, the the original is 7.8. Now, I would say this is a 5.7 movie in IMDb terms. So you've got two points of solid sexism deducted i would say everyone
2: knows ghostbusting is a men only pursuit it's all we have <laughs> left like, now, to the go- new ghostbuster haters out
4: i
1: mean the first one is definitely better i mean i don't know if you, i don't know how much of it you actually remember
4: literally every line Ken.
1: okay well you remember the first scene it's it's basically all bill murray the best thing about the movie is actually the song and then there's bill murray's eyebrows which are 70% of the comedy of the movie but in the first scene that Bill Murray's in. He's, he's kind of a scientist doing an ESP mm. experiment on a couple. There's an attractive girl and a kind of dorky boy. Yeah. And he's, and he's asking them to name what's on the slide, and like an ESP experiment, see if they've got psychic powers. And he keeps telling the boy whether or not he's got it right, that he's got it wrong, and administering electric shocks. And he keeps telling the girl that she's got it correct, even when she's got it wrong, in, in the hope of trying to seduce her. So immediately he's established as a, <laughs> as a con man and a sleaze bag. You know, in the first, in the first mm. scene, that's what, that's what his character, that's kind of the first thing. Whereas all the characters in the remake are kind of very solid type of people, you know. It's, they're, they're quite well-meaning, you know, they, they don't really do anything bad. It's a little bit safe in that sense. You know, it's okay. The big
2: question though, Ken. Yeah. Is Slimer a man or a woman? Or uh, still just a blob of ectoplasm?
1: Uh, Slimer is a man, but he's, this time he's got a partner who is a woman. Right A similar type of
2: I'm just happy well, That's a serious love. spoiler I'm alert There's not even much point going <laughs> I'm, I'm surprised that Slimer has managed to find love But congratulations <laughs> to him <laughs> The idea behind the programme Is that we chat to a massive Superstar guest every week From outside the world of sport About their careers Comedy Movies That kind of thing But then we cruelly dissect Their own sporting ability In order to Finally answer the question That nobody knew Needed asking or answering Just who is Ireland's greatest ever Non-sports person Sports person The current leaderboard Please Murph
0: could have been a contender. I could have been somebody.
4: Well, controversy right out of the gate last week on as we had to put a handicap system in place to incorporate the fact that our first guest, guest Gabby Logan, was, you know, actually a brilliant athlete in her youth. So, in the first category, her sporting highlight, while it may have been competing at the Commonwealth Games and certainly was worthy of 95 points. But I deducted her 20 points in the spirit of fairness. That's fair to our future guests. Obviously not uh, fair to Gavin. I'm still not happy with your methods, but go on. Uh, as the crown jewel of the BBC Sports Department, her current sporting knowledge is understandably pretty high, so she scored 97 points there. And I also rather pettily deducted points off her overall sporting ability mark uh, of 92 yeah. because she couldn't play our great Gaelic sports of hurling, Gaelic football, and, to the best of my knowledge, road bowling. <laughs> so, uh, you know, I also don't want this to be a complete cakewalk for her after week one. So, three scores of 75 points, 97 points, and 92 means an overall score of 88
2: points. And she is our current leader, on. Well, it's pretty good, despite your nonsensical scoring system. And in case you're getting I- ready... I thought
4: I explained it very well last week, and have again explained it for you.
2: I mean, as plainly as I can, On, I'm sorry. In case you're getting ready to fire off a text casting doubt on Gabby's qualifications for this prize as Ireland's greatest ever non-sports person, Sports person she was... In the Rose Tree Contest in 1991 She met Gay Byrne We explained it last week It doesn't get any more Irish than that Apology accepted It's a daunting total chase for today's Special guest who's tearing himself away From preparations for the Edinburgh Festival Where he previously won The Best Newcomer and Best Show Awards He's a regular on all the top shows in the UK And in the US He's appeared on Conan O'Brien He also became the first Irish stand-up To have his own show on Comedy Central And he's one of our favourite comedians on the planet David O'Darty. Can't wait for him to pop into studio in the next few minutes First we're going to play a little something in honour of David's sporting career You may already know that he was a genuinely pretty decent rugby player in his school days But I seriously doubt you've heard much buzz about his ability as a fisherman uh, Have him become an accidental hero in that field in his teenage years Text us on 51551, email secondcaptains at rt.ie Tweet us at secondcaptains This is Second Captain Sunday Fisherman's Blues by the Waterboys, first up on Second Captain Sunday, and we couldn't think of a more appropriate song for our guest this morning, because not only is he one of the world's greatest comedians, just back from a massive US tour with Flight of the Concords, but he also happens to be the 1991 Mayo Beach Fishing Champion in the Junior Turbot Division, <laughs> David
5: O'Darty. welcome. The, my exact level of, that was a nice intro, but I was in, I had a gig in Castle Bar in June, And uh, I was approached in Supervalu, is how I insist on pronouncing it because it doesn't have an E. And uh, an older lady put her hands on my shoulders and she said, you are vaguely familiar. (laughs) And that, I think, sums up better than anything else the actual level of fame I have. I Um, have got my facts right with regards
2: to the turbot fishing though, right?
5: Yes, it was a grey day on Kim Bay and uh, the actual championships were going on. The junior uh, beach casting. And I just happened to be down there and started to cast off the beach myself. And I landed two turbots. And even though I wasn't in the competition, no one had caught anything in the actual competition. Like I wasn't even u- I was using mackerel scri- strips, lads. I wasn't even using so, the lug like the pros. So
4: how many different uh, divisions are we talking here? Was is turbot the blue ribbon? Like the,
2: <laughs> the fifteen hundred meters of the nineteen fifty six Olympic games yeah. kind of thing.
5: <laughs> it's a tricky fish to catch because you know if you're catching mackerel that's that's more it's more like a hunt. Yeah, of Whereas course. You don't. You don't need to tell me about mackerel. The turbot is a stealthier customer, so you cast it out, you leave it there, and you wait just for the little dink you on the line. Turn you know? around and like just just pretend like you're on your phone. Yeah, just give them the just give <laughs> them the slip. It's nothing. It's just a bit of mackerel that happens in. to be sitting on the back of the, bottom of that ocean turbot. Just uh, try it there. Why don't you? Boom! <laughs> and uh, yeah, so that was that was the highlight of my fishing career.
2: And you're just back from the US. Edinburgh is in a few weeks, the Edinburgh Festival. I'm sure you're working away on it. Can you explain to us, non comedians, how big a deal this is for you in your year?
5: I, don't, I, I mean, I've done Edinburgh since I was 2000, the year 2000. I've done it, I think, 15 or 16 times. It's kind of the Tour de France of the year in that you build the whole year around it. I'm working up a new hour. Every all of the best comedy experiences I think in my career have taken place there and without doubt all of the worst as well the gig in 2000 where five, all five members of the audience left uh, at, like together they were a group they'd won uh, tickets uh, that afternoon on the radio and they all decided it was terrible and the door thudded shut leaving me alone in a room not much bigger than this to be honest and uh, that was a bleak moment. Oh, the well, character, hold
2: on. Let's let, Yeah, let's hold on. Let's hold on that one for a second before we get to the good times. What did you do for the next five or ten minutes?
5: The show must go on, surely. Yeah, well, does it. I mean, yes, the show must go on. But if there's no one else in the room, I mean, this is. If a comedian tells a joke in a. Yeah, in an <laughs> empty, empty room, room yes. is it a joke? It, no, it's just a man talking to himself then. <laughs> so there was. Uh, that's not true. There was one other person in the room, the person operating the lights. Yeah. And uh, he he came down and i remember we shared an embrace for a moment and i uh burst into tears and we went off and had three pints yeah. so i think that is how you're you you, you definitely build up a resilience uh, and then within a few short years i i guess i met a bunch of people who have become my comedy uh, uh, f- best friends since that you know like the likes of flight of the concords now who um just being away with playing, you know, 10,000 seat venues in America. We in 2003, we played a, a it was a hundred seat venue to between eight and 13 people a night for a, a month. Wow. Uh, and then people like John Oliver did a lot of stuff with John, who now has a massive HBO uh, series in the States, yeah. like Josie Long. Yeah, it's where I've, I've it's where it's it's the place I go back to because it's the most fun and it has the most memories. And it is... You always learn something every single year. You still learn a lot.
2: How do you make sure you get it right? What are you doing? You say now you're preparing for it. How are you fine-tuning it?
5: I mean, my main weakness as a comedian is I have no sense of what other people find funny. I mean, (laughs) so often I'll write something down and go, that is an absolute (laughs) stone-cold classic. I, I am Take the rest of the day off, you. Yeah, thought of a joke recently, which is um, just... It was a thing about how... uh, Older ladies sometimes love dressing as sailors when they go on aeroplanes. And I just thought that was a universal, probably based on my mom. And I said it at a gig, just like, will you wait for this one? you guys, absolute silence. No one else thought that was a thing. And so my technique uh, with getting a new show involves a wall and just throwing material against it. And some of it, like pasta, when it's done, will uh, stick and uh, that goes into the show. I record, I I do tiny, tiny gigs for uh, all of the summer. Well, I've just been doing enormous gigs. But uh, since about mid-May, I've just been doing upstairs rooms and pubs to to 20, 30 people.
2: Do you enjoy that? Given that you have been doing these massive shows in the US, you've been on all the top TV Progress in, in the UK The comedy programmes QI Have I got news for you All of those sort of ones do you, do you like going back To small Irish venues Maybe less fashionable venues And doing shows In front of 30
5: people Ah yeah I mean the thrill In the job Isn't playing The enormous venue It's the first time The You try out a new joke And the audience laugh And that it, There's no real feeling Like that And and it doesn't really matter What size The audience is
2: I heard a story David Of your early days At Edinburgh when you won the Channel 4 So You Think You're Funny New Act Award? Yes. And were handed a novelty check for... Yeah. £1,500? <laughs> yeah. Is this story I'm, I have heard true? And if it is, do you want to tell it? I've nah.
5: never said this on stage. This is too embarrassing. And... Um yeah i thought it was um legal tender like <laughs> the, pe- the giant novelty people check. have all- i thought you could write a, a, a size didn't matter with the check yeah I as long as you crossed it you know it it a, the back of it it seemed to have a sort code on the bottom of it it was signed and all the rest of <laughs> yeah. it so i took it back to dublin in my suitcase like doubled over <laughs> And then (laughs) took it down and it was like a rainy day. Took it to the bank then under my arm and this big sodden droopy check. And um, I I remember uh, holding it uh, like you, it was too big, obviously, to go under the little sort of thief proof. <laughs> She's going to have to come around. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, but I remember this I remember there was one person's face. So I hold up the massive check, and there's one person's face there, and then that person disappears. But rather than come around and let me in, just that person goes off to get everyone else from the back of the bank. So suddenly there's 10 faces there. And it is the funniest thing any of them have ever seen. And uh, yeah, they were like, that's not real. That's not a real check. And the real check arrived in the post then a couple of days later. You must have been pretty
2: smooth going down with the real check anyway. You, <laughs> you finally got that cash. We've been mentioning your high profile TV appearances. In the UK Elaine asks Is David concerned That he will no longer Be asked on QI And other big British TV shows Because of Brexit A tweet from Stephen In the UK Mirrors those sentiments Stephen says I'm going to have to start Watching Irish panel shows To see David O'Doherty And Ashling B again So what are you, are you keeping The head down over there now?
5: I think we're going to Sort it out I think it's going to be okay But I Yeah I don't I, I definitely don't have a UK passport or anything like that. All right, you're <laughs> listening
2: to Second Captain Sunday with Owen Murph and Ken. David O'Darty here has been giving us a beautiful insight into the inner workings of the mind of a top comedian. But in case you're in any doubt as to a sporting ability, I should probably let you know that back in the day, David was a bit of a legend of schools rugby fullback for the Junior Cup winning team. Winning St Michael's team of 1991, O'Darty set the tone in the semi final against St Mary's when he lined up against Dennis Hickey and showed scant regard for the <laughs> reputation of a future Irish international, going toe to toe with Hickey and slamming him into touch the very first chance he got. All of that should stand him in pretty good stead after the break. Get your texts in on 51551. Tweet us at Second Captains. Up next, we scrutinise this sporting life of David O'Darty.
4: Second
2: captain, first captain, whatever.
4: I'm giving an overall score of 88 points with the only marks being deducted for being a little too good at things. It's like that time on Strictly Come Dancing when you were voted off for being able to dance. If, if
6: Kenny Logan was in earshot right now that he genuinely thinks he's to this day that he's a better dancer than he that...
4: is. I saw him described as having the movement of a vacuum cleaner. <laughs>
2: <laughs>
5: but obviously not a Dyson because they're quite elegant.
2: Yes. Um... Yeah, it's one of the cheaper brands. Yeah. Yeah, the brilliant Gabby Logan there over at Dance Yourself Clean by LCD Sound System. Gabby was her first ever guest on Second Captain Sunday last week and is currently Ireland's greatest ever non-sports person, sports person. She didn't exactly defend her husband, Kenny Logan there, the former Scottish rugby international, regarding his dancing ability. Ken, you've had a look at the tape. Mm. How would he match up to your own moves in the dance floor?
1: I could do this. What? I think I could do this. What is this? What's he doing? Uh, he's wearing a black vest, black skirt and black socks and Cuban heels. And he's essentially stomping around the stage a little bit uh, while the professional ballroom dancer who accompanies him distracts the eye. I think anyone who's watching this this couple dancing, Kenny Logan is just there to provide a, a little bit of background. You know, mm. it's mostly it's hand brilliant.
4: gestures.
2: We're going to hear all about the sporting life of this morning's guest in a couple of minutes. That guest is comedy superstar David O'Darty. You have already established your turbid catching credentials. Thank D-
5: you. Did you grow up in a pretty sporty house? I mean, it was just all we did. Mm. It was there was a little garden, and it wasn't just uh, football or uh, rugby ball. There was always. You know, tennis rackets, golf clubs, hockey sticks. There was all of that. And my brother was, I think, six or seven years older than me. So he was, I was very much the goalie you know and he would hammer shots at me and uh, I remember my dad uh, my my, we'd go to the beach sometimes and put down um, jackets and I would again be in nets and my dad would just cross to my brother who would (laughs) head it beyond me and then I remember them like high-fiving a lot (laughs) when (laughs) they scored against a five-year-old so that was uh, they're teaching
4: you a valuable life I have three older brothers myself a lot of life lessons are being handed out
5: you know that's what it's all about I wonder how many true champions had a lot of old older brothers yeah. you know Agassi I read his book recently. me you Agassi Andrew Agassi yeah,
4: yeah.
2: <laughs> <laughs> true champions your mum was a big sports person though wasn't she talented
5: yeah the, someone at some point in my family there's going to be a really really good athlete and uh, my mother was my mother played hockey for Ireland in the early 60s and then played she nearly played tennis for Ireland she was interprovincial and my father then was a piano player <laughs> who was somehow roped into playing for Galway Corinthians for a while as a as a scrum half and he tells a beautiful tale of him putting it the ball into the scrum and uh, the prop just moving his foot over to crush my father's hand. (laughs) And my father at the time harboring ambitions of being a piano player. Yeah, that's not going to work. Going, oh, it might be time to end my rugby career. (laughs) But the beauty of my my parents met at, uh, originally they met, my dad was the umpire at a tennis match for my mother. So it was sport that which I I think like that's the romantic tale that they tell. I think they then subsequently didn't meet for three years after that. (laughs) And someone reminded them of it. But that was the they they, their eyes met across a baseline or a high chair.
2: Have you ever talked to your mum much about those days being a sports person back then? I remember we interviewed Maeve Kyle about being the first female Olympian for Ireland. That was back in 1956 now. But she had she famously received a lot of support from Irish people, but also a certain amount of resentment There was a um, letter sent into the Irish Times describing her as a disgrace to Irish womanhood <laughs> for competing at top-level sport. Have I, you talked to mum about that?
5: Uh, yeah, I, I've spoken to her. I know mum... Uh played a bit with me. Ma- I think I think Maeve Carroll would be a little older yeah. than Mum, but she played hockey as well. She was a winger mm. in in hockey too. So they they would have met through that. I think there's a key distinction between <laughs> sports that were kind of Church of Irelandy, which is what uh, as it happens uh, hockey was in particular there was kind of a more of a anything goes vibe than that. I don't think people would have been quite as angry about your slightly short skirt or uh, playing those games. And that was always because my my, like my mother, I mean, who even cares about this anymore? But like my, my mother was Church of Ireland and dad was Catholic. And it was quite a scam. Like they weren't allowed to get married in Dublin. McQuaid uh, had stopped they were called mixed marriages yeah. in the in the late in the mid 60s so they uh they so i think it was something that they Always had a Quite a cynical Attitude towards Have a bit of a laugh About oh, what are we supposed to do Yeah good luck with that lads We
2: have heard that you Had and have An unhealthy obsession well, It was probably healthy When you were A young lad of Eight or nine years of age But with the 1987 Tour de France Those would have been The kind of posters Adorning the walls And the ceilings
5: I had a uh, Greg LeMond Directly over my Bed um, He was blue tacked onto the ceiling and his blue tack used to give way uh i'd say once a week and he'd just waft down as i slept (laughs) and i'd wake up with greg greg on my face and uh yes so cycling came along i was very much just the roach kelly um 85 86 no probably 87 88 then and i i wanted to be a professional cyclist then it was so i used to get up before school and put on the gear and every penny I had like every it'd be a birthday and I'd be like Mum I need a rear derailleur (laughs) (laughs) made by Shimano and (laughs) Mum would have to go to some specialist lightweight bike shop and get some serial number part for me How long did the dream last? The uh, The Cycling dream I'm the wrong shape Owen I'm just I have little tiny little Build-A-Bear legs that are quite wide Mm. But like
4: kind of a Chris Hoy I'm thinking No
5: yeah, maybe, maybe if if the track had been an option, yeah, then Kieran, that might have been something that I I could have done. But no, I I I did. I it's a it's a grim old life, the cycling uh, life. I uh, trained for a few years with Orwell Wheelers, it was Roach's old club, and then the drugs thing started to hit. I I I got um, Kimage's book, A Rough Ride, when that came out. I mean, I guess my heroes now in the cycling world are probably more journalists than cyclists just no dis- says a lot for no uh, disrespect to you guys but that's pretty lame <laughs> yeah. no one wants uh, posters of you guys on their walls <laughs>
2: <laughs> we never had the privilege of seeing you in full flow on the bike unfortunately but uh, anyone who watched your appearance on our TV show a while back will have seen your evidence of well the evidence Murph of David's prowess on the rugby pitch
4: yeah, I can still see it in my mind's eye on Boy Wonder, Dennis Hickey, scampering to glory along the touchline. The St. Michael's Lancer Junior Cup dream hanging by a thread. But along comes Michael's fullback, David O'Darty, who streaks across the field from his textbook covering position before smashing Hickey off the field and into the stands. <laughs> True, it was only the semi-final, but I think we can all say that was the moment when they all truly started to believe. Those of you who haven't seen it, we will immediately tweet a link to the footage mm-hmm. now. It's truly all inspiring stuff. And also... We have to say we are left with the knowledge, having watched the footage, that you were actually pretty bloody good at rugby as well.
5: Ah, I was all right. I had that thing where um, I was quite big when I was little, so uh, that buys you a few years of remaining good, I think.
2: Did you enjoy being a rugby star in a rugby playing school?
5: I I didn't I didn't enjoy school very much. I mean, the, you've got the combined forces of. All boys schools, which is pretty much all there was, uh, and then a, a school which was obsessed with a sport that I kind of liked playing, but then I didn't really enjoy practicing. Like we were practicing, we we were practicing six times a week, six days a week was our training, and it wasn't. There wasn't an onus on fun. There was an onus on on winning. Like I remember reading the John Eales. Uh, autobiography years later and the very last page in like the autobiography of one of the greatest rugby players of all time is hey coaches remember it's supposed to be fun (laughs) and and then the school itself was I don't know I remember I went back years later they got me back to do a talk to transition year and I think they were expecting me to talk about what a a wonderful time I'd had there but I didn't want to lie so I said I hadn't had a good time there but the good news was for anyone having a terrible time was that it'll be over soon. <laughs> if you're in transition year, you've only got two more years to go. And then the world opens up to you and, you know, you, you either go off and travel or get a job or go to college. And, you know, I discovered so many things then as as an 18 year old. I, I loved music and really then want to be a, a piano player, which was something that I never even thought about um, in school. And uh, so yeah, that was that wasn't my entirely popular message to. The, well, yeah, not, that's not, not entirely popular with
4: olds. the uh, with the teachers, but I would say quite popular with uh, the kids who might be kind of suffering in silence there a little because yeah, you I, know, in a, it's say in a school like where it's you know it's nearly monocultural in that it's yeah. just rugby or nothing else. If you're not into it, then. You're, you're feeling a little left out of things, maybe.
5: Yeah, uh, but also when I, like, I was quite good at it as well. So I was, I was, like, a, a fast nerd. Uh, and, I, I like, I heard a really profound tale recently. My friend Simon is... Uh, very idealistic primary school teacher he's just gone back and uh, to, to do he did his tr- primary stuff and he's been teaching kids and he decided to he, he, he decided to do an award every week for the person who's tried the hardest this is for four year olds not, not the person who's the smartest the person who's tried the hardest and week one he's like and the winner is Sarah and Sarah goes like yes and everyone else in the classroom is like no 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 <laughs> and like this is an award he's just made up and immediately everyone is obsessively competitive about it, four-year-olds come so, like bribing him, st- sticking money into his uh, yeah. <laughs> so he has this, like I, I find this so profound. He he just said to everyone like imagine if someone had said this to you when you were four. Guys, we're a team, and this this sort of stuff doesn't really matter. But if something good happens to one of us, we should all be happy. And everyone goes like,
6: oh
5: okay. And the following week, it's, and the winner of the person who tried the hardest this week is Sarah. And Sarah goes like, yes! And everyone else in the class goes like, yes! <laughs> and for the rest of the day, they're all just jumping around, high-fiving each other. I think in the end, he had to go, guys, we can't be this excited if something good happens to one of us. But I feel if education takes place in a more joyous atmosphere, you're more likely to absorb some of these life lessons.
2: When you went back in transition year to do that talk, went back to give that transition year talk, I should say, was it the same, essentially different faces, but the same people, the, the same the same cliques and the same kind of jocks, nerds
6: yeah,
5: <laughs> dynamic I mean. that was there when you'd gone to school? I think in, uh, in most boys' schools... You can walk into pretty much any classroom and identify the six or seven different groups that were there, that are there. And I remember seeing the super nerds over there, the attentive uh, nerds, and then sort of semi nerds in between them. <laughs> I mean, I think you can. It's not a scientific theory, but I think <laughs> most uh, classrooms are uh, are the same. There was a, a, a beautiful thing recently, which was my my father is seventy seven. And he went back to his school. As it happened, a neighbour of my parents is a teacher in the school where my father went, which is uh, Sing Street. Mm. Uh, the movie is is uh, based on, on on that school. And uh, Dad went back to be interviewed by the seven year olds. And what was amazing was, well, the interview was incredible because everyone had thought of one question, <laughs> uh, which was. Uh, what said they would be really good questions. They thought about loads, like what did you have for lunch and mm. these kind of things. <laughs> and dad blew their minds with, I remember dad explaining that there would be uh, on Mondays, they would in the assembly hall, which is still the assembly hall. They put up a cinema screen and they all pay a penny and watch like a, a movie and everyone just going, why don't we do that now? And dad going, oh, because we didn't have a TV. No one had TVs at home. And one of the kids was like, do you have PlayStation? <laughs> like it was completely unfathomable. But then what was amazing about that is that the that school, which would have just been, well, it would have been actually uh, Irish Catholic kids and then Irish Jewish kids because I was in the Jewish part of Dublin when my dad went there, is now this amazing mix of nationalities and but everyone is it's the exact same school that dad remembered because everyone's just talking about the dubs or they're talking about the euros and it's you just you, it's the same thing happening 70 years later
2: well you've heard one version of events of the uh, surrounding the tackle heard around the world um, in that 1991 junior cup semi-final between St. Michael's and St. Mary's let's hear from the man on the end of it Leinster Ireland and Lions legend Dennis Hickey how are you Dennis?
0: Not bad, are you?
2: Good, good. Sorry to dredge up these horrible memories from earlier in your career. Uh,
0: thousands what's and thousands of pounds worth of therapy later. <laughs> what
2: were David's attributes as a player?
0: Size, <laughs> size, size. As he, as he points out, size, speed. Um, more of a swerver than a sidestepper, as I remember. Yeah, I, I, hard coming, hard to stop coming into the line. Because, as, as he pointed out himself. He was a lot bigger than everyone else at that point, and he was still very quick. So it was pretty—it's uh, pretty hard to stop. And you know, you can imagine scrawny you know, like fourteen, fifteen-year-old boys, you know, trying to stop a man of that, of that, of that girth, really. And uh, it's pretty difficult. So, but uh, very sure of the high ball, good boot and uh all-round nemesis
5: (laughs) i remember uh looking up at your team and we all had the same haircut do you remember the haircut (laughs) of that era was the um the center yeah the curtained the curtain center parting with the step and (laughs) even though like i tried to dislike your team i remember thinking uh, yeah we've got the same haircuts, though." you know we are Fundamentally made of the same stuff.
0: <laughs> yeah, well, I think that's 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 uh, that's a pretty good description of it. And we we um, played against each other the whole way up through school, and we kind of built this rivalry from a very young age. And you know, I probably in, in our in our in our age group, we were probably two of the stronger teams. So the games were always really close, and we played each other the whole way up. So when we got to the semi final as it was at that time, we were two teams, I suppose, who were among the favourites for the competition. Um, we actually ended up. Uh, and I'm sure Dave is going to go on to talk about this uh, playing each other in the Senior Cup um <laughs> Uh, Dave I'll let you take it
5: from here I uh, unfortunately did Junior Cup in fourth year so I never played against Dennis in Senior Cup (laughs) where he went on to avenge the defeat but it was uh, I can't
0: can't believe I'm still talking
5: about so I mean a thing that you won't realise though is that I, I would say this to any listeners who have someone who is very very good at sport of the same age as you I then for the next 15 years dennis i did live vicariously through your triumphs there was two people who were doing well in the world of sports who were roughly the same age as me there was dennis hickey and then tiger woods i'm i think two days older than tiger woods so there was you know and ultimately tiger has let himself and me down whereas you never have and i will always respect that (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I remember the single greatest move I've ever seen on a rugby pitch was in the quarterfinal before you played us. I sneakily went to watch your previous performance, you know, with his jacket zipped up so no one could see my school uniform. Yeah, and I, I, you. I remember there was a move in the middle of the pitch, like one of those textbook people running across, like almost like a dance move where you opened up. I can't remember who the team was. but you, Yeah, you opened them up like a can of sardines and I remember going sweet Jesus these people are going to murder us then. Uh but didn't
0: happen like that though didn't happen.
5: It was, a he- it was a heavy day back in February 1991 and I think that might have taken the edge off your all Ireland speed and brought my as you describe it girth more into play <laughs> and uh, yeah that was probably the pinnacle of my sporting career you guys Dennis it
2: sounds like you've been uh, you've been haunted by that game for many years so (laughs) we're sorry to to drag it out further in the national airwaves thanks very much for, for chatting to us
0: no problem at all
2: now that he's gone David you can tell us because we know how people are often uncomfortable with praise just how much better was Dennis Hickey than everybody else on the pitch
5: well you know that scandal in the world of cycling where there's now hidden motors inside bikes (laughs) you would I mean I'm putting it out there the rumour that Dennis had robot legs he had his legs surgically removed and he was just so fast he was so much faster than all the rest of us and then he did the thing where he played under 18s and he was 15 he was all Ireland champion at sprinting yeah I mean he could still do it I I Think we have more
2: than enough material at
5: this stage, don't you? The time has
2: come to rank this sporting life. Don't be too nervous, David. Of David O'Darty You
3: don't understand. I could have had class.
0: We don't have stars in this game, Mr. Weaver.
7: What do you have then?
0: People like me. I could have been a contender. I could have been somebody.
4: Yeah, I mean, this sporting life could basically be made for you. David, because uh, in the absence of getting an actual sports person on here, I think you were going to
5: set an (laughs) An unassailable sports person.
4: (laughs) (laughs) Oh my goodness. Professional.
5: These shoes. No, the listeners can't, See, I'm wearing shoes that have. They look like normal. They look like horrible normal shoes at the top, and then underneath there's a metal. Take, cleats take one off for a second. So <laughs> clip into little. the bottom. I'll bang it off the. Yeah. Off the <laughs> mic. There's me- a metally bit that sticks in the bottom. That's. Oh, there's your athlete right there. Okay. Continue.
4: Okay. Well, it breaks down into three categories. Uh, David, you may have been listening last week. The sporting highlight of your career. One, your sports knowledge, and your overall sporting ability. Okay. okay, so the sporting highlight of uh, your career, uh, you were the overnight leader of the ACL Thirty Six Hole Golf Tournament, and you ACL are Masters. Yeah, yeah. the the ACL Masters. Yes. Yeah. And the an East Leinster under fourteen triple jump bronze medalist, but it must be weird as a young sixteen year old to perform a feat so thrilling, so momentous, so miraculous that you immediately realise that it is the first line of your obituary and yet that is what you must have felt after that epic takedown of renowned schoolboy speedster Dennis Hickey I'm going to give you 90 marks
5: out of 100 for that I thought you were going to at least that beats the turbos.
4: Yeah. that didn't even get a mention in Murphs yeah. well I thought we'd mentioned the turb. I thought we'd covered all possible turbus tur- tur- angles
5: covered,
4: yeah. but anyway sports knowledge any man who uh, spends his spare time, as you have said on stage in the past, going on eBay and typing in 1987 Tour de France, just to see what sort of taff <laughs> pops up, has got it bad. Does 85 marks even sound a little low? <laughs> Overall sporting ability, it's been a graceful transition for you from cub, rugby, starlet and scourge of turbid everywhere, there it is, to king of the <laughs> Dublin five-a-side scene and pitch and Put on Parai. If only we could all mature so gracefully. I'm going to give you... 80 marks out of 100. So some might say that our score takers have given me those scores specifically so even I can't mess up the (laughs) mathematics. I tend to disagree but this leaves you with an overall score of 85 marks out of 100. That's an A, not an A plus but it is an
5: A. That's an A too. Yeah, I'll take that. Also also imagine for the Olympics if there was a sport that like a pentathlon, a really, really modern pentathlon that combined all of my (laughs) abilities there. Catch turbot. Yeah. (laughs) Cycle Five kilometres. Tackle Dennis everything. Hickey. Yeah. <laughs> Dennis, it has to be Dennis Hickey. Though. Yeah, he would yeah. get annoyed. Hey, he Especially it as it. he gets older. And
2: you've been absolutely brilliant this morning. Thanks so much. Round of applause, please, for David O'Darty.
5: <laughs> Have a lovely Sunday, everyone.
2: by David Bowie they're appropriate for any person who has caught the amount of turbot that David O'Doherty has <laughs> however he's still only good enough for second place on our leaderboard behind Commonwealth Games Gymnast and BBC Olympics anchor Gabby Logan he's thrown away more turbot than you'll see in your lifetime on you're listening to Second Captain Sunday just in case you're still in any doubt as to David's prowess as a school's rugby player we have got this email in to Second Captains at ort.ie from on, Dave Feeney all the way from Sydney Dear Second Captaineers. I too was a member of the St. Michael's College Victorious JCT team of 1991, playing an at-best supporting role in the left wing to David O'Doherty's star turn at fullback. back I remember you showing the footage of his crunching tackle on Dennis Hickey in the final minutes of the game at Donnybrook. I was even able to make myself out via the RT international player floundering and stumbling in the general direction of Dennis as the DOD races past me to make the crucial try saving tackle. I realised then that the highlight of my sporting career was in fact not tackling Dennis Hickey but merely being in the vicinity of a future stand-up comedian experiencing the highlight (laughs) of his sporting career. One degree off David O'Darty. Cheers from Dave Feeney. I think Dave gets a second captain's mug for his effort there. He's living, if Vicariously through somebody who's living vicariously, vicariously through Dennis Hickey. Else. Yeah, that's fair enough. That's enough for a second cap. You've got yourself a mug, sir. Loads of great texts coming into us in one. But forget about all those for a minute because we've got a very special caller on the line right now. Her name came up during our chat with David there, and we've tracked her down. It's Ireland's first female Olympian, the great Maeve Kyle. Maeve, how are
7: you? I'm fine, thank you very much. Getting older by the day. (laughs) Common complaint.
2: Well, apparently, you played hockey for Ireland with David's mum, Anne Huey. Do you remember her at all?
7: That's right, I do indeed. She was quite a lot younger than I was. I'm, what am I now? I'll be, I'm nearly 88, so... And the memory is not as good as it used to be. Well, Apparently,
2: uh, David reckons that uh, his mum didn't encounter too much opposition or any problems playing hockey at that time. But No,
7: no, no. Hockey was, hockey it was, was different, was, interesting. was it? Hockey was totally acceptable. Right. As long as you wore black stockings, and there were no such thing as tights, black stockings up to your thighs with suspenders, very sexy, <laughs> And um, and your skirt was long enough. You had to do it test with one of the referees before you went out on the field to make sure your skirt wasn't too short. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's crazy when you think about it, but that's the way it was.
2: So uh, why was there, or I'm right in saying that there was more opposition to you being involved in track and field when you went to Melbourne well, in 56?
7: Probably because there'd be more of any female... Um, running than there was playing hockey. I had a tunic, which covered most of you, so, and long black stockings up to your thighs. But when you went out to run, you had a, what looked like very mi- minuscule shorts and a fairly minuscule top. <laughs> that was really what it was all about, <laughs> and I'm right. especially being a married woman.
2: Well, yeah, I, I am right in saying what I, I mentioned earlier, The this letter that came to the Irish Times describing yeah. you yeah. as a disgrace to Irish womanhood. Was that it?
7: That's right. I didn't pay a lot of attention but um, Sean and I had a good laugh about it you know and that was it my parents thought it was hilarious so that was fine too
2: everyone was able to laugh it off at the time because if you were I guess if you are a little more thin skinned you might be quite put out by that
7: yeah well absolutely I mean it was it was horrible at the time you know in in many ways that women were Expected to fulfill a precise role, which is largely decided by men, I have to say. And I'd often wondered why. Was it because. It was better to keep women in the corner where they would do what they was told or would, should you give them space to use the brains that most of them had. I mean, mm. it was, you know, women's freedom really came with the ability to go to third-level university and uh, third-level education and so on. And then women decided they would have their own careers. And there were lots of brilliant women who stood up and just did it, you know.
2: So was that letter to the paper just a... To- a little bit of an anomaly or do you think it was representative no, of a wider health so. I
7: think it 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 said a lot for um what you know what really was considered not quite proper for a married woman with a child to be doing and i mean i think it was a ge- quite a genuine feeling that you know the married woman's place was in the home you remember there were very much very much fewer married women actually working at that stage that you know had to had a job so there were once you were married you were expected to your job was running the house and the family.
2: Did you see yourself then, Maeve, when you went to to Melbourne in fifty six and you went on and competed in two more Olympic Games mm. as something of a, a trailblazer might be the The right term. Yes,
7: in a way, but somebody had to be first. You know, there's there's always a first, and very often there's a last. But I, you know, I took great pride in being in being one of the first women. Strangely, a P teacher who taught me in Alexandria, where I went to school, Miss Dermody, she dived. I think we, we can't really find the record of it, but she dived for Ireland in the 1948 Games, but then the 1948 Games were sort of thrown together in London. You're too young to remember, but uh, and there was the first, really. It was a revival of the Olympic Games. I wasn't necessarily the first, I might have been the second.
2: Well, certainly not bad going May 1st May or 2nd, and 1st in track and field, which, as you say, had a... Well, you you encountered issues, I guess, because of what you wore while running. I think but that
3: was really it. But it you? also has a,
2: a, is a certain stature within the Olympics as well, and still does. Competing in those uh, kind hey, of yeah. events, you were sprinting one hundred meters, two hundred meters. Th- yeah. These are the biggest, most high profile events, and still are.
7: They, they still are, but the reason—the reason for women was they really didn't think they'd be capable of running 400. Well, 400 wasn't in at the time, but really 800 was a bit much, you know. I mean, and as for anything beyond that, I mean, women would need resuscitation, you know. <laughs> that was the—that was the the actual. A general view of what women were capable of you know yeah. never thought that uh, they made a better job of going through childbirth than men likely would have no, I didn't think <laughs> they would have likely <laughs> they didn't scream and cry as much <laughs> well, that's we'll, terrible isn't it
2: <laughs> well listen mate, we're three weeks uh, around three weeks out now from the start of the Olympics this year obviously athletics has taken a lot of blows in recent times are you still
7: enthusiastic yeah, it it's very sad yeah. but um, it's maybe not a bad thing at the end of the day you know that a lot of things are coming to light now I mean there have been all sorts of things right from that time I was competing there were all sorts of people who the only only word you can use is were cheating and uh, even in
2: 1956 oh yeah what sort of cheating were they doing
7: they were cheating in different ways there were all sorts of rumours going around, and as far as we were concerned, they were rumours, but at the end of the day, there probably was a lot more truth in them of what people were taking, what they were doing, and all sorts of things. I mean, I don't even remember the half of what they were, but, you know, it was it, 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 it's horrible when you get that. A lot of it arises out of jealousy, but also countries found that when athletes did well in the Olympic Games, the Olympic Games has always had a very strange but a very important role in the sort of the the ladder of sport. If you go to the Olympic Games for some reason and you win at the Olympic Games, it's considered, by most people still, a better medal Mm -hmm. than winning, say, at a World Championship, which is quite strange.
2: Well, listen, Maeve, Kyle, I'm glad you're keeping so well. And listen, thanks very much for speaking to us this morning.
7: Not at all. Thank you very much for asking, me.
1: There you go. That lady is almost... 88 years old are you you impressed? Amazing yeah actually I just thought as well when she was describing that hockey outfit it's exactly what Kenny Logan is wearing in (laughs) uh, Strictly Clumb Dancing so Not long left
2: in the show now Ken our listeners will be at a loss as to what to do so maybe maybe tell them what to do and what not to do with the rest of their Sunday
1: Well it doesn't matter what I tell them what to do or what not to do because the thing that they're going to be doing is what they shouldn't be doing which is playing Pokemon Go, uh, people are still... Can you believe that people would do this? Can you believe that people it's would would go into their security settings on their phone, change their region, and then download it from a region where this game has been released, and then change it back to Ireland in order to play this game? It's insane what's going on. Can I ask going. you a question? Yeah.
2: What is Pokemon Go?
1: You're actually kidding me. No. <laughs> oh, Owen. <laughs> What is Pokemon Go? Am I the
2: only only one not doing it? Actually, I don't care what it is. I'm going to do it. I'm going to go whatever Pokemon Go is. I'm doing it after the show. (sighs) Come (laughs) on, come on. (laughs) So you've a load of Pokemon characters on your phone.
1: No, you got. You're looking. Through, you, you're looking at your phone. Your, your your phone's camera is on. You're looking at the screen. It's like showing you walking through the world. But the thing is that out there, there are all these little creatures, like little holographic creatures. They're hiding in different places, and you've got to find them and catch them. When when you come upon one, it appears there on your screen. It's like special effects, you know.
2: <laughs> it's like a 2016 version of. That snake game that used to dominate the I, cer- mobile phone I certainly scene.
4: would have bumped into a few passers exactly, bl- 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 by in two thousand and one while they felt at thirty yeah. ten thirty two ten. So they shouldn't be doing
1: that. What should people be doing? I suppose you could go along to see that movie.
2: Ghostbusters.
4: It's pretty average. See,
1: see Slimer find love. Look, you can go to Ghostbusters if you want to go to Ghostbusters. He's
2: given
4: it 5.7 out of it, 10.
1: I give it 5.7 out of 10. It's it's fine. It's like any other not very good movie. You know, it might it'll pass a couple of hours if if you're trying to kill time. It's not I mean, looking at those marks that it's given. It's amazing how many people give it 1 and how many people give it 10. Right. You know, it's they're, they're not talking about the movie here. But there's a different point that people are either endorsing or objecting to, which is nothing to do with the quality of the movie, which is
2: average. Maeve Kyle was challenging prejudices as far back as 1956 and 60 years later the world is still not ready for an all-female cast of Ghostbusters (laughs) I I I think that's the main takeaway from this morning's show Okay that's pretty much it from us hope you enjoyed this morning's edition of Second Captain Sunday Marion Finucane is up next we'll chat to you again next week at 10am and our special guest is going to be only the Oscar nominated director Lenny Abrahamson I like it, Murph, it deserves one of those whistles If you'd like to get in touch During the week Tweet us at SecondCaptains Drop us an email SecondCaptains At Thanks to Caro Hare On sound this morning Mark Horgan and Simon Hick Produced Thanks Murph Thank you Owen Thank you Ken Thanks Ken Thank you Owen Thank you Karen. Thanks for listening And enjoy your Sunday <sighs> Second Captain First Captain Whatever